This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living. Welcome back to the Golf Marketing Podcast. My name is Rodney, and alongside me today, I have Duncan and Brian. How's it going? Great. Pretty good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Fantastic. So, on the podcast today, we're discussing five ways to increase your golf course marketing footprint. I'll start with you, Duncan. What are some ways golf courses can increase their marketing footprint? Well, it's kind of funny. I mean, I find a lot of golf courses, um, they they don't do some of the, the, the simple things to help people find them. I mean, it comes from basic things like just signage the golf courses on the street level to things online. Like nowadays people use their phones for basically everything for directions and whatnot. So one of the biggest things that they can do is make sure that they're on Google Maps um, and make sure that the information on Google Maps is accurate. And one of the ways to do that, Google introduced this thing called Google My Business where you can literally claim your business. They do some checks and balances. They make uh, they send you a postcard or, or, or phone your phone number and you have to answer with a pin. But regardless, once you own that business, you can actually customize um, the location of your, your pin. You can have pictures of your golf course. You can have descriptions, your hours, um, a whole bunch of um, additional information. And I find that a lot of golf courses don't, don't pay attention to this. And kind of one of the main reasons why it's a big deal is because this is the platform that people do golf course reviews on. This is when they review your golf course. So if someone gives you a bad review on Google, if you don't own that business listing, you cannot respond. So that is one of the main things that I really feel like golf courses need to do is make sure they own their Google My Business listing. It's a very simple process. Um, even if, it, if it's one of those situations where you lost the email or whatever, Google has a whole department that can help you. So on the reviews thing, though, I think Brian has some other things to comment about. Yeah, and you touched on reviews with, with the, um, the my business as well. But if you really stop and think about how people make buying decisions, especially when it comes to things like golf, um, reviews play a big part. Now, prior to online becoming a big thing, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, reviews were a lot of reviews were like in the newspaper or you heard your friends say that this was a good golf course and you want to go there. But now with so many golf options out there, people go online and they will look at things like Google, um, like the Google places for reviews in there, places like TripAdvisor, places like Yelp, and they'll look at what golf courses get the best reviews and that tends to be where they kind of decide on, on going. So. I actually got a stat for you here, Brian. Um, from Bright Local, they were saying that 88% of people now read reviews to determine the quality of a local business. Yeah, and the interesting thing about reviews, and that's, that's not surprising at all that it's that high. And the interesting thing about reviews is that if you think about where reviews fall in the overall buying cycle or the, 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 um, 
the conversion process, they're typically towards the end. If somebody's looking at reviews of a golf course, they've already made up their mind that they're gonna go golfing and they're gonna go golfing on Saturday. Now they're just trying to figure out where they're gonna go. So, you know, we think of some things like maybe like social media that are kind of on the outskirts, they get people interested that, hey, maybe you should golf today. Reviews are further down that path where somebody's already made a decision to play. So now all of a sudden, if they're looking at 10 golf courses on a place like Yelp or TripAdvisor or Google, and your course is in the top three for reviews, there's a good chance they're gonna look at your course before they look at the course that's further down the list. Yeah, I mean, people will tend to usually look at reviews and then they'll narrow down from there. So yeah. they're gonna go for a good quality golf course that has good reputation. Um, then they'll likely look at location and price. Mm -hmm. And if all those seem decent, then they're gonna go with you. That's, that's basically the kind of the buying cycle that people go through. Um, is you know they want to look for comparisons. They want to know how you compare the competition. They want to know um, from a price level and a location distance level how far they have to drive to get there. And when we talk about review, something we get asked we get asked all the time is well, how do I get people to review my course? So not only do how do I get people to review my course, but how do I get good reviews? Well. How do you get people to review your course? Sometimes it comes down to simply asking people. Um, is it on the bottom of your receipt or any sort of um, um, publication or something that Scorecard. you put out? Scorecard would be another place too. Um, so people will review and, and it's starting to become more within the culture too. If I had a good experience somewhere or sometimes a bad experience, people have a tendency to put up reviews. They want other people to know about their good or bad experience. The other side of things is how do I get good reviews? There's no way to manufacture reviews. The simplest answer is, is if you have a good a good product or service, that'll lead to good reviews. So be good at what you do. I totally agree with that because it comes to the fact that if you give the good service, good product, then people are going to be compelled to um, say something about it. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact, if I have a good experience, it doesn't matter where, I'd love to tell other people about it because in my buying process, no matter what it is, I always go to a site where I can see reviews because the business might tell me that they are amazing, right? But I, I trust, was, right? yeah. but, I, but I trust what other people what say, say because yeah. they've experienced it. So on that same end, I mean, when you have bad reviews, what do you, what do, you do with those? I think with bad reviews, um, the worst thing you can do is run away from them and pretend they're going to go away because they're not. The best thing to do is to to monitor them and be able to respond in a in a relatively quick manner. And sometimes the best, always the best policy is just honesty. Like, read the review, try to figure out what exactly they're saying. Where was the bad experience? Where where were the issues that were in there? And then writing a review or a response saying, "Hey, I appreciate your feedback. You know, is there an opportunity for you to connect with me via email or phone or whatever the case may be?" Um, the sooner you do it and the sooner you confront it, the better off you're gonna be. If you let it sit there and sit there and sit there, think about the next consumer that comes along and they see a bad review that was written three months ago and the golf course was nowhere to be found in response. How does that, how does your your brand, what is it perceived like if all of a sudden you're not responding They're to reviews, you don't care, yeah. right? Yeah. And I will say too, I don't have stocks in this company or anything like that. There's a tool called Reputology uh, reputology.com where you can go and sign up your golf course for about $30 a month. It'll actually take reviews from over 60 different review websites and pull them into one dashboard. So instead of jumping around trying to figure out where everybody reviewed your golf course, it pulls it into one and then you're able to respond from that dashboard. So it makes it really, really effective way of, of managing reviews because they can be, they can be a, a big burden that so many different review websites now too. So. Mm -hmm. All right, that's interesting. What else can golf courses do 
Um, I mean, one of the major one that I think is on, on, on websites uh, and even print pieces, um, the content that's being written on them um, is, is basically, it has to be written for your audience in mind. I find a lot of golf courses write, um, they use a lot of uh, shop lingo, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't give the basics and they don't think about how the user is going to first perceive them and like the flow of information to the purchase path. So, I mean, just a simple one um, that I can think off the top of my head when it comes to a website, um, the menu items that they have there. Um, making sure that they're using plain language um, that basically people understand that, okay, this is the, this is the, the golf course, this is the rates, here's lessons, here's tournaments, here's these different sections of the business that I can see in food and beverage and so on. Um, just just by having content laid out in a logical manner, not necessarily um, just everything all at once on a page, but like the flow that a person would go through that buying decision, it's really important for the user that that content is sensible. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense too. I mean, I think if you start writing essays on your pages talking about things, there's no way people are gonna read all the way through. And, I, and you know, both of you know from experience here, um, We'll go and look at pages where we can actually watch somebody, a recording of them with their mouse moving through web pages, and you start putting a ton of content on a page, they don't reach the bottom. No. They look at the first little bit, and then you see them scroll, and they just leave like, okay, I, I'm out of here. So, yeah, you want to keep things nice and simple, and like you said, the navigation items, give people what they want in the navigation items. Like, where are you? How much do you cost? Like, basic things like that um, I think are really, really important. And just overall in content... We, we talk about it all the time here that sometimes the best content is the most basic content. You know, just because you know when your golf course is open or you know where it is doesn't mean Joe Golfer knows where it is. So sometimes the best content is the really basic, where are you located? How much do you cost? You know, how many holes do you have? Do you have food available? Putting that content out front and center will help uh, kind of streamline the buying process. Yeah, one of my major pet peeves actually with um, websites in general, not necessarily just golf courses, is um, just embedding PDFs or giant images mm -hmm. um, on a piece, more or less just to, it's kind of a lazy move. You know, I have, I have this uh, thing for tournaments that I give out to all my tournament members, so why don't I just paste that on my website, done, don't have to worry about it. I mean, there's a couple of problems with that. One, it's not really tailored to the user. Yep. Two, it's really hard to see on a mobile device because they have to shrink or zoom and or whatnot. download it, which is even <laughs> or, worse. Or yeah. Exactly, or download. Or and the other final one is in terms of SEO. I mean, um, we'll we'll actually have other other podcasts regarding SEO specifically. But in terms of um, the ability for you to be found on a search engine, those those um, robots do not read PDFs. They, they read content PDFs. on your website. So if you're just putting an image on there, they don't know what's on it. Um, so it's kind of a, a best practice is to do the legwork, put the content in there and lay it out and in, in short paragraphs that are easily digestible. Um, if you have a giant wall of text, no one's going to read it. You need to have really short and sweet um, text with um, headings so that people can get to the point in the text that they want to get, get the information they get they want and get out. And People's attention spans are very, yeah. very short. That's so. part of the reason social media is as big as it is, is because like Twitter, for example, I can get a piece of content and 140 characters in a picture. I can see what you need me to see and I can move on to the next one. That's the way our brains are starting to be trained to work. And you did, before we move on, you did mention SEO, search engine optimization. And without going really deep into it, a good kind of rule of thumb for search engine optimization is if you create good content that your audience is looking for and it's well laid out, you're way further ahead than most people. I mean, you don't, I mean, they're gone are the days where you have to stuff keywords into, into 
articles and pages, etc. If you create a website or a web presence that has good content that is actually readable or, and, and your audience understands it and your audience can appreciate it, you're, you're doing okay. Yeah, and I think one other major thing I just gonna mention that the SEO that I think is overlooked is the adding city names yeah. into content. Edmonton I or mean, Calgary or whatever the case may it, be. It yeah. would seem redundant, but I mean, if you think about it, if you want to come up for Edmonton golf courses, you're gonna to have to have the word Edmonton in your in your um, in your content on your website. Toronto, same thing. Yeah. Um, if you omit that and just you know assume golf course generic terms like that, it won't do you any SEO benefit. Yeah, and that yeah. that also has um, the user in mind because. Because when people are searching, right, chances are if they're looking for a golf course, they're searching by location. Yeah, so. yeah. And you think, you mentioned Toronto. I mean, some cities are, you know, Calgary or Edmonton, perhaps. There's Calgary and there's Edmonton. But you get in places like Vancouver or Toronto, it's not just Toronto. It's no. Mississauga and in, in, in BC and in Vancouver. It's Richmond. It's So breaking Sorry, it down even further, yeah. right? So Because, I mean, you could live in Vancouver, but the golf course could still be two hours away from you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On the content thing, as a golf course, you don't want to fall into the hole of um, just putting everything on the site as well. Like sometimes it's a trap that they fall into where um, you just want to put everything and show that you have all these amazing things at your golf course, but you want to make sure that you don't do that. So just tailor that content, make sure it's relevant and just keep it short and sweet. You don't have to show everything, but you have to have something worth keeping the user's attention yeah. on there. And you look at your website analytics over time, you'll see what pages are the most popular, uh, where people spend the majority of the time on your website. And, and they're kind of showing you, this is the content we like, this is the content that we don't really care about, and you can tailor it accordingly. Cool. Is there anything else that um, we have in mind just to wrap up? I think one of the major ones that um, golf courses uh, don't really look into is, is, is what their competitors are doing. Um, I think a lot of the time we just tend to follow the pack. Um, you know, this this guy's raising his rate, so I'm going to raise mine. Um, but if you actually did a little bit of research, a little bit of legwork, look into what the competition's doing. Um, what days do they have their league on? Like, is their men's league always on Tuesdays, well as mine on Tuesdays? Uh, maybe that, maybe that's why it's not doing so well. Um, what kind of specials do they have for tea times? Um, where are they advertising in terms of like coupon books or wherever? Um, membership rates or even levels do they offer the same sort of offerings mm -hmm. and if you continue to offer exactly the same thing that your competitors do at similar price there's going to be no way for you to differentiate yourself as a business and you're not giving people an additional reason to come to you versus them mm -hmm. if all things are the same um, people will just kind of split 50 50 give them a reason to come to your golf course you need to differentiate yourself with whatever offerings you can from food and beverage um, pro shop equipment that you're selling. I mean, does the guy next door sell Callaway and you sell Callaway as well? Maybe you should be selling Titleist or, or TaylorMade. Um, just simple things like that. Doing a little legwork, reviewing what the competition they're doing, and then try to differentiate yourself. And I think, and you and I both know, Duncan, from working in the golf business, I think there's kind of the tendency when people are, or a pro is coming into the next season, what did we look at last year and uh, or what did we do last year and let's just do what we did last year and that's what we're going to do again this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's cool to take elements of things you've done in the past and move them forward. But if your marketing strategy is let's just do what we did last year and I think there's a lot of that, not just in golf, in business in general, you're not really staying ahead of the curve. You're falling into the trap and truthfully did last year's stuff work extremely well. Maybe it was pretty good. You can always refine it. You can always make it better. So don't fall into that trap. And like you said, being different. I mean, go 
go try something different. Why not try it and see if it works? And if it didn't, didn't at least you tried, mm-hmm. um, whether it be what you offer as, as products or services or, or what have you. So being different is a really big one because you know you look at successful companies all around the world, regardless of industry, the ones that are staying ahead of the curve, they're changing, they're innovating as, as the market changes, they're the ones that are doing really well. That's actually a really good point. I mean, that's that's another another big thing that I think that golf courses need to be different to stand out. Um, if you want to get noticed as a golf course, you can't just fly under the do what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of a, another point entirely where I mean, little things like um, deciding to host tournaments, like mm-hmm. um, you know, amateur tournaments, big tournaments where you have a lot of people coming to your club, a lot of publicity around it too. Um, PGA tournaments, CPGA, same thing. Mm-hmm. You're getting people coming to your tournaments who, uh, sorry, your golf course, who wouldn't otherwise do that. And you get free news out of this for doing it. Um, I think Brian, you even mentioned um, in the past some other things around uh, partnering. Partnering, yeah. I mean, whether it's partnering with the local chamber of commerce or local schools, how can we get people that maybe wouldn't normally come to the golf course or our golf course to come? So, you know, maybe you do work with the Chamber of Commerce where you're hosting a night where golf is part of it, but maybe there's a mixer at your clubhouse. Getting people out there that maybe they wouldn't have ever been exposed to your place before. I think that's a really big one. And, and you know, schools too. I mean, I've got kids in school. Golf that, school. Yeah, that's for golf that teams. Yeah. yeah. And even if, you know, in phys ed class, they go to the driving range a couple times. Why isn't it your driving range? Because maybe they'll come back with their parents because they went there once and they feel comfortable. So... You know, partnering and looking for those those unique partnership opportunities, um, I think, is something that, that would be worth considering. And you look at different trends in the tourism and, and, and side of things where it's, um, you know, organic food, green living, that kind of thing. Is there something you can do to work your way into uh, into different um, partnerships that way? And I know here we've seen a lot of um, uh, golf course instructors who are trying to build their own brand, yep. their personal brands. Um, they, there's usually, um, weekly segments, um, in the newspaper where they're looking mm-hmm. for people to, um, provide, you know, instructional tips yeah. or drills or whatnot. Um, if you want to get your name out there, it's kind of important to, to take those opportunities and, and, and introduce yourself to the pub- publicists and get content in there showcasing yourself. Yeah. And that's something in another podcast, we'll talk about building your own personal brand, but you're right. I mean, as a pro, you're part of a golf course because that's where you work but at the same time you're like your own little business and you have to market yourself that mm-hmm. way too and sometimes if you're the face of your golf course you can do some different things that maybe the golf course can't do overall so um, being different and, and partnering those are two things that I think get ignored and I, one more before we have to wrap up it kind of falls under the content side of things um, e-newsletters oh, yeah. I in the world of social media e-newsletters I think are sometimes forgotten and I tell people all the time, if you gave me a Facebook page with a thousand followers or an e-newsletter list with a thousand legitimate subscribers, I'd take the e-news list every single day of the mm-hmm. week. Um, especially now in Canada with some of the new rules that came into effect a couple of years ago for somebody to sign up for your e-newsletter, they have to jump through a few hoops. So they're showing interest. Um, there's so many things you can do with an e-newsletter, both in season and off season. And Duncan, we discussed earlier, don't just put information in there and that's my e-news and I did it this month and hooray for me. What sort of tangible thing can you put in an e-news or some sort of call to action where somebody can come back with their smartphone and show the pro shop a copy of the e-news and they get a free bucket of balls or something in the, in the restaurant. Some incentive yeah. to sign so, up. Yeah. So that way they're, when they see the e-news come in their box, there's a reason for them to open it because, oh, there might be something cool in there. So use it 
use them, but use them wisely and don't, I think some companies have an e-news list and they just keep doing them for the sake of doing an e-news. There's real opportunity there if you actually spend the time and do it. And, and nowadays, I mean, there's so many great tools for e-newsletters like yeah. MailChimp um, that basically give you a ton of data with this too. They tell you what's being clicked on, yeah. um, how many people are opening it, so open rate. Um, it's, it's a little bit different than it used to be. I mean, you're getting a lot more information. You have a sense of what content people are interested in. Um, and you can gear your e-newsletter to those individuals and to, to, you know, just make it a better experience overall. And we see from working in a, a digital agency like we do, you know, you can go as deep as here's an e-news about a specific topic. You can see who opened it and who clicked through on things. You could actually take those people and form another list, a sub list, and send them something specific based on whatever they, you know, if your e-news was talking about wedding rentals in your, in your clubhouse and you saw certain people click on certain things, you could quickly throw them in a sub list and send them another e-news talking more about oh, rentals. Yeah. They've already shown that they're interested in that. Give them more of what they want. Exactly. You have to keep it um, to the point as well. Yeah. Because sometimes with the uh, e-news, um, people can overdo it. Yeah. So you don't want to sort of like um, send an e-news out every three days no. and expect people to be interested and keep reading it, but do it in a timely manner. Yeah. And go look back through your own e-news or your email box. What e-news do you actually open and pay attention to? That might give you an idea of what types of things you want to put in your own. All right, fantastic. Some great tips there. Thank you, Duncan and Brian, for sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and that's it for today's podcast. We'll see you next time.